morning. Are you excited about summer? If you're young, you are, right? If you need a copy of God's Word, just slip your hand up and Chad will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles or devices and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Really appreciate uh, the worship team all the time, but uh, I love that last song that we sang. You talk about the name of, of Jesus Christ and how powerful it is and what it means to be omnipotent and realize that's who your Savior is, that's who your God is, and that's, uh, that's where your faith is placed. It means, it, it means everything to us with, with uh any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Without him, you have no hope. You have no reason for existence. We just kind of do life. But in him, we have all hope. And so I really appreciate Peter and the team. And uh, um, I really don't have anything to say, so we're going to pray and go home. I think you know better than that, right? We're going to take one comma and spend two days on it. That's, uh, that's my goal one day. I, I think I can do that. All right, Acts chapter 16. If you'll take your hand out, I want to hit a couple of, uh, kind of set us up contextually is where we get into point two today. We're going to finish up God's will and ministry. So everybody have that? You're looking at it? Okay, this is, a, as we said last week, this is another one of those pivotal moments in the history of the early church and really in the history of the church and, and in history per se, history itself. It's where Paul's second missionary journey is about to begin. In Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36 through chapter 10 of verse 16 is what we're looking at right now. And how, here's the one thing that I want you to take away from this part, and then we'll get into the rest of it in a moment. As you look at point one on your handout from last week, we talked about God's will in disagreements. That God is always at work. I read a cute story this week about disagreements among Christians. I know we never have those, right? We always, uh, we get along completely all the time. There are never any issues. And it was a story about porcupines. So when, mentally, I want you to envision a porcupine. And I think you're all thinking about needles. And the story was this. There were these two porcupines in the up freezing north of our world, of the globe, and, they're free, and they desperately needed each other for warmth, and so they wanted to get close to each other for warmth, they needed one another, but they could not get close because of what? Their needles. And Vance Havner, a great preacher from years ago, said this. He said, there are a lot of porcupine Christians. We really need each other, but we spend all our time needling one another. And we don't accomplish anything. And I thought that was a great way to understand that there, we're going to have personality conflicts. There are going to be things about me that you don't like. I know you, you find that hard to believe and you think that's impossible. But if you'd like to spend a little time over here in the cove after we're done, uh, actually two people who know me well, my wife and Peter Simons, would be glad to explain to you. But uh, look, Peter's already got one. Here's, here's this one and this one. And uh, Peter used to go through my office in Bartlett and he would move something just so I would uh, freak out when I would come in and someone had turned a book upside down or moved that book from one spot to another in my office, and I always knew it was him because no one else was that cruel. But 
Yeah, you could, you could spend a little time with Mary or a little time with Peter or there's some other people in the room that you could spend time with and, and they could say, yeah, there, there's some things about Randy that could really get on your nerves. But here's what I know. Despite what the personality quirks and conflicts you might have with him, I know what his goal is. It's always what does Jesus want and he always wants what's best for me. And sometimes it doesn't come across that way and sometimes... Uh, uh, I'm not a good listener, I've, I've been told, every now and then, and particularly by uh, some females in my life, that I'm not a good listener. And you know what? That's true. I've been told that by Dr. Simons, that uh, you need to be a better listener. And that, that's true. And hopefully I can take that in the spirit in which it's given, not like, hey, stupid, even though that's the way Peter said it. Hey, stupid, you, you need to be a better listener. He didn't do that. You need to be a better listener. More, more, it was more along the lines of it meant to be constructive criticism and speaking the truth in love that, that if you're going to do, pass through these people, you might ought to listen to them when they're hurting. And so it's helped me. And the point being, we are the body of Christ. You might be an ear, you might be a nose, you might be an armpit. Okay, I've been that. You might be an armpit. And there are other parts of the anatomy we won't get into that you might be. But the point is, we all work together. We all want to accomplish the same things. If we're the body of Christ and if we're the church that God called us to be, the the called out ones, the ecclesia, that's who we are. And so in the history of the early church, as the second missionary journey begins, and we talked about that last week, clearly there was a serious issue between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. But here's what I want you to see. Big picture, you step back. And despite the fact they were wrong in how they handled it, with their viol- they had a violent argument. We talked about this last week to the point they probably came close to, if did not come to blows. It was a violent argument over, we're going to take John Mark or we're not going to take John Mark. And they went two different ways. But here's the point. God was still, Romans 8, 28, working good in the midst of their argument, in the midst of their disagreement, in the midst of even their sin. God was bigger and in control. He is sovereign over not just the universe, but our lives and his church. I love what Jesus said. That's why meditating on Scripture, not meditating on Scripture, but reading it, learning it, and stopping and saying, what did I just read? When Jesus said to Peter, Peter had just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, I'm paraphrasing, but then he ended it with this. Upon this rock I will build my church. And what's the next thing he said? The gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. And that was not a defensive statement Jesus made. It was an offensive statement. He has left his church, his body, his bride on the planet. He takes some home. He brings more in. He's still building his church block by block. And we are Overcomers. Read the book of Revelation and see how many times it refers to believers as overcomers. That's who we are in Christ. Now, there are times in the moment we don't do well, like Peter and Barnabas concerning John Mark. But what's the big picture? 
We're still the overcoming church. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones he's called out to take his name to the world, to bear it. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul told the church at Corinth. I love that picture. I don't represent a country. I don't represent a town. I don't represent a family. I represent the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. I don't don't care who the king is and what he thinks of himself. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the one that has the keys to death and hell. He's the one who is the omnipotent ruler in the universe. And that's why I love when we sang today about that name, Jesus. What does the Bible say? It's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, master of all, to the glory of God the Father. There is no other name on earth whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the message that we carry, the gospel, the early church, look, look on your handout up there again. It's been in the book of Acts now, what, nine years? When we began the book of Acts, that, that we put together that, that combination for the theme. Jesus said, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says in the Great Commission, as, at the, as he gets ready to leave the planet, now I want you to go and make disciples of the nations, all Gentiles, you go, make disciples, I'm going to be with you always. And then when you read over in Revelation, it's describing the church in the eternal state. It says there were believers there from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth, which is what Jesus wants, that's the job of the church. That was 2,000 plus years ago, and it has not changed. We just happen to be the generations that are alive right now with that commission on our lives. If Jesus doesn't come back and my generation is gone, then my children's generation will step up along with my grandchildren's generation. And some of them are here now and they're doing that. Generation to generation, you are God. So God's big picture, God is always working good in the lives of his people and his church even though we may not see it. God had a bigger plan. In the case of there on your handout, Barnabas had a new partner, Mark. Paul had a new partner, a guy named Silas. And instead of God sending out one missionary team, even in their disagreement and their end result was, he sent out two missionary teams. Now our focus is on Paul and his team. God uses imperfect people. Aren't you glad? You see anybody in this room that's perfect? I don't. First thing I do every, every day when I get up and I look in the mirror, I say, ooh, you ain't perfect. <laughs> Yesterday morning, our, our granddaughter spent the weekend with us, a five-year-old granddaughter, and, and she was asleep in our bed. I know you find that hard to believe, but she was asleep in, in our bed. And Mary was up in the kitchen doing something, and I was in the, the bathroom shaving when she woke up. So I went in there to, you know, say, say good morning, ask her how you doing, and she sits up in our bed, and our, our dresser's right at the end of our bed. It's got that big mirror. and it Probably shouldn't be there. But although, as long as I don't have my glasses on, it's okay when I wake up and see that. But, so she wakes up. She has this long, blonde hair. And she wakes up and she looks in the mirror. And she's just looking and looking. And I said, Lydia, are you all right? She goes, Grandy, look at my hair. And I said, oh, she's only five years old. 
look at my hair. And I said, well, looks good to me. She goes, I, I don't want to have to brush that. I said, I tell you what, we'll get Grammy to do it. Because she didn't want me to do it. All right. So I want you to go to number two on your handout. We're going to wrap this up today. So we saw how God was working his sovereign will in the history of the church, even through disagreements. And today I want us to see how he's working it in the discipling of an individual and bringing him along, bringing, making him part of the team for big picture down the road, Acts chapter 16. So when you get to Acts chapter 16, it's about A.D. 50, 51. Paul is back at Lystra. And if you remember, we're going to go back and read it. Back, back in chapter 14 when he was there on the first missionary journey, there's a real picture here, when he was there at Lystra in the first missionary journey, that's where they had stoned him and left him for dead. They thought they'd killed him. And just left him there thinking he was dead. But then he gets up. He wasn't dead. Obviously, God wasn't through with him yet. And he moved on. But here's the first thing I want you to notice about contextually where we are. When Paul gets ready to go on his second missionary journey, we talked about this last week, his plan with Barnabas, let's just go back where we were the first time and see those people. But God had more for him to do, as we're going to see, particularly next week. He had Europe in mind. Well, right now he's in Lystra. And despite the fact when he was there before, they literally tried to murder him and thought they had and left him for dead, he goes back. Because many people had come to know the Lord there, and he wanted to go back and see how they're doing. No fear. Just go do God's will. When he was there, he had met a 16-year-old boy named Timothy. Timothy had become a believer. What he saw in Timothy were some special gifts of ministry, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, preaching. So now Paul wants to make Timothy part of his team. Look at Acts 16, verse 1, and look at the character of Timothy. Let's start there. He came to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So let's start with just the character of who is this young man, Timothy, that Paul wants to bring onto his team as they go on their missionary journey. He did not want John Mark, but he wants Timothy. And he's got Silas, and he wants to add Timothy to his team. And notice verse 1. What is it? The first thing it tells you about Timothy, number one, he's a disciple. What's the Great Commission? We've been talking about it now for nine years. The Great Commission, Jesus said, I want you to go make learner followers of me or go make disciples. You make disciples of me, those people turn around and make disciples of me, they turn around and make disciples of me, and by multiplication, the church explodes. And it's exactly what's going on in the early church. And then in just a couple of hundred years, they turn the Roman Empire upside down and it becomes Christianized by about AD 400. Because they followed Jesus and obeyed him. Not easy. Go back and read history. Not easy. Under Nero, it was it basically, the man was crazy. Anything he could do to persecute and kill Christians, he did. It's a horrible time. They persevered. Peter describes it this way. The fire, your fiery trial you're going through is a light affliction or it's temporary. Later, later called a light affliction. All that they were going through. So he sees in Timothy, he's a Christ follower. He's a disciple. 
But I love this also. Look at verse 1. Concerned of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So he'd been taught by his mother. He'd also been taught by his grandmother. And he was a believer. They were believers. In 2 Timothy, again, the last thing Paul wrote before he died, and he writes to Timothy and he says these words, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded is in you also. You must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing what you've, when you've learned them. And from the childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He'd been taught by his mother, believer. Been taught by his grandmother, believer, Jews. Taught him the Holy Scriptures, what you would call the Old Testament. Pointing him to a Messiah. Paul's introduced him to that Messiah, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth, and Timothy's become a believer, like his mother, like his grandmother. His mom is a Christian. And all it tells us about his dad is that he was a, that he was a Greek, probably dead at this point. It doesn't mention whether he's a believer or not. Probably was not. Because he'd been discipled by his mom and his grandmom. I want to pause for a moment and focus on that for just a second. How important this is. We'll see it even more so next week as we look at the gospel going to Philippi. Many people talk about Paul being anti-female or anti-woman. And if you were a Jewish rabbi, you would never give women credit for anything, wouldn't even talk to them about the law. And he's going out of his way here to praise Lois and Eunice for how they had poured into Timothy, taught him the scriptures, discipled him, and brought him to where he was, a Christ follower. And Paul will write some radical stuff later on, like the church is neither male nor female. And for a Jew to ever say that would just... It wouldn't happen. It would be nonsensical for them. So that's who his parents are. Now verse 2. Look at his testimony. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. He had an impressive testimony. Well spoken of by the brethren or the church. And in history, he, Timothy becomes a leader in a time, in a place where it's very dangerous. A lot of persecution coming, coming, and he becomes a leader of the church. Verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he wants Timothy to be part of his team. He wants him to replace Mark. He feels like he'll be trustworthy in these difficult times. History, he will become like a son to Paul. He describes him as his son of the faith. He'll become the pastor of the church that Paul starts. He's considered both a Jew and a Gentile because his father was Gentile and his mother was Jewish, so he could have been accepted by both groups. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And he wants to pour himself into Timothy as they're going to minister together, preach the gospel wherever they could to anybody that they could. Later, Paul would write to the, or Paul would write to the church at Corinth the following words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you. He's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, could they use somebody to come teach them? 
Well, they had all kinds of problems. You name it, it was going on there, including incest. And, and it, when they came to have the Lord's Supper, it became drunken orgies. And they, they had all kinds of problems. And he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I trust him to come and faithfully teach you what you need to hear. What I, Paul, have written to you and talked to you about, I'm going to send Timothy to you. In Philippians chapter 2, he wrote these words. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also may be encouraged when I know your state or condition. Now notice or listen to verse 20. I have no one, talking about Timothy, like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. You couldn't have had any higher praise from the Apostle Paul than what he just wrote to the church at Philippi, what we just read, what he wrote to the church at Philippi about this young man, Timothy. I trust him. I know if I send Timothy to you, he will sincerely care for you. How do I know that? Well, we've been together, and he spent time together, and here's what he knew, is that Timothy was not about Timothy. It wasn't self-seeking. It wasn't ego. For him, it was, I want to come and serve you. I want to come and teach you truth. I want to come and mock. He wanted to be a leader. He wanted to be like Paul. And Paul poured himself into him and said, and had no qualms about saying, I need to send somebody to a particular church to help them. I'm completely confident I can send Timothy. He's like-minded. I know he's going to go and teach truth, model truth, be what they need to hear. Let me ask you a quick question, particularly if you're in supervisory capacity, whether you own your own company or you have people that work for you, whatever it might be. And I knew, what I, when I, even when I sold greeting cards years ago in the late 70s and early 80s, I had 12 women that worked for me part-time. Couldn't find men that could do it, but I had 12 women that worked for me part-time. One of them was my wife. We couldn't legally, I couldn't legally hire her, so I had another salesman hire her so she could work for me. It was okay with the company. I just couldn't do it. So here's what I desperately needed out of those 12 women, and I bet you need out of people who work for you. That if I were to say, or one of the salesmen were to say, Mary, we'd like you to go to the Walgreens at Poplar Plaza and go in there and work that account. I did not have to go back, or they didn't have to go to the Walgreens at Poplar Plaza and check up on whether Mary had done a good job or not, because they knew what about Mary. I don't have to check up on her. If she tells you she's going to do something, what do you know? It's a done deal. And I guarantee if you have employees, that's the kind of people you want, is that you train them, and you say, now, go do this, And they did it. Mary was better. We had these things we called revisions where we'd go in and remodel a store. And once Mary learned how to do it, she was better at it than we were. So when I get a revision, I just turn it over to her and go do something else. Play golf or something. I just turn it over to her. Because I knew I didn't have to check up on her. That she said, I'll take this. And over the years of being in the church now 35 years, there's some people in the room I won't embarrass them by calling out their names. But they would come and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, handle this area for you. or I'm gonna, we got this thing going on. I'll take care of that. And I knew I didn't even have to worry. It was done. 
I didn't have to worry about it. It was just, I didn't have to micromanage. I didn't have to go back and check up on them. It was just done. That's the way Paul felt about Timothy. He's like my soul. He's going to go there and love those people. And by the way, Paul loved the church at Philippi. As we're going to see next week, it was his joy, his crown. Read that little book of Philippians. It'll take you about 10 minutes to read it. It's always a great book to read just to be encouraged. He loved them. And he, what we just read, he was saying to the church at Philippi, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I know he'll love you like I love you. That's who Timothy was. Paul wants him. Now look at verse 3. We looked at the character of Timothy. Now look at his circumcision. This is where you find out that he's serious. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him, took Timothy, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew his father was Greek. All right, he was the son of a Jew. He He would have been considered Jewish because his mother was a Jew. And the line of descent, simply for a logical reason, the line of descent always went through the mother because the bottom line is you don't know for sure who the father is. But when a person has a child, you're pretty much convinced that's the mom. So the line of descent for Jews went through the mom. So Timothy would have been considered him Jew, a Jew. Paul himself circumcises Timothy. And if you remember, we were studying earlier, he had refused to circumcise Titus. This is really important. Back when we were doing the Jerusalem Council, Paul adamantly refused to circumcise Titus, who was a Gentile. And the reason was they were taking circumcision and adding it to faith alone and Christ alone and making it, you had to be Jewish and you had to be circumcised before you could be, quote, saved. And Paul said, no. Adamant, we're not doing that. He wouldn't circumcise Titus because they were adding it as a work to salvation. He does circumcise Timothy because they were going to be dealing with some people who were Jewish and to be able to for them to even listen, to have an ear, he would have had to have been circumcised. So with Timothy, it's not about salvation. He's not circumcising him to be saved. He's already saved. He's circumcising him to get a platform to talk to those people. It's about freedom. Here's what you know about Timothy, verse 3, again. He allows himself, and by Paul circumcising him, that would have been the act of a father. And it's very, another reason I think his father may have not been there, but also... Paul's, he's going to be like a son to Paul. Here's what you see about Timothy. If you're a grown man and you allow someone to circumcise you as a grown man, what does that say? Thank you, Bill. Thank you. It's like the chicken, if you have ham and eggs, the old joke, if you have ham and eggs for breakfast, the egg made a contribution, what did the pig make? Sacrifice. Timothy's willing to sacrifice, allow himself to be in a lot of pain, physical pain, so that he could go with Paul and preach the gospel to the Jews they might encounter in that region. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul wrote these words, I became all things to all men in order that I might win some. Paul didn't assert his freedom and say, look, I don't have to be circumcised. He simply said, if that's what's best for me to be able to talk to them, I'll do that. I'll do that. He wanted to serve God, and he wanted to be with Paul. Now, verse 4, the result, 
churches are strengthened. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. They delivered the decrees of the Jerusalem council to the churches from journey number one. They go back to those churches who've been worried and deliver to them the decrees of the Jerusalem Council. And if you remember the two decrees were number one, there is no addition of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. And then secondly, the decrees about freedom, so that you and the Jews can be together as one body. The kosher food, you just don't eat kosher food in front of them. And refrain from immorality, not from the sin perspective, but from the freedom perspective front of the Jews, don't eat food that's been offered to idols. Stay away from the immorality around idolatry. So God blesses their ministry. The churches are strengthened. They're increased in number daily. Here's a picture before we move into the last thing. God, big picture, his will. He places his servants where he wants them. To deal with Paul and Barnabas, Ultimately, God was going to use them in different arenas. They got there in a bad way, but they got there because God had a plan. He places you and I you know, where he wants us. And our job is to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I spread the gospel? I want to talk to that person. What have I got to do to be able to share with them? Circumstances change. Barnabas was the perfect man for Paul's missionary journey number one. If you remember when Paul was saved, who was the guy who vouched for him so the church would even accept Saul of Tarsus in the first place? Who was it? Barnabas. And if Barnabas had not been there, he wouldn't have been in. And they ministered together for years to the point even facing death together. He was the perfect man for Paul for missionary journey number one. What we're going to see... As we go into missionary journey number two, that the perfect men to be with Paul in missionary journey two were Silas and Timothy and Luke, as we shall see. That was his team. They were the perfect people to be with him on missionary journey number two. For example, Silas is a Roman citizen. And that's going to become a big deal, we'll see in chapter 16. Romans 8.28, God is always working good. All right, now let's go to verse 6 and see how God's working his will in this whole area, how the Holy Spirit works. Opening doors, shutting doors. God is sovereign over all. Sometimes he shuts doors so that he can open another door to get you where he wants you to be. Verse 6. So when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried again to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing to Mycenae, they came down to Troas, or Troy. Verse 6, the they is Paul, Silas, and now Timothy. Now, here we are. Paul simply wants to go back. The most logical place is go back where we've already been. The doors are open. Take the next step. His desire is to go back to Asia, Bithynia, Check it out thing. God's answer is what? No. Not yet. That will come later, but no, not now. Later, Paul does go to Asia. Ephesus, for example. 
Again, big picture. We look at everything as past, present, and future. We know the past. We're living the present. We don't know the future. Who does? Your father does. Not only, this is what makes God God, and there are many, many things that make him God, but one thing that's most comforting to me in thinking about the sovereignty of God as a believer is that here's my past, here's my present, here's my future that I don't really know. I got plans and I got ideas, but I don't know. But my father who saved me in the past, who's saving me in the present, who's with me and ministering to me and hopefully using me in the present, he's already where? In tomorrow and the next day and the years down the road. He already knows what he's going to do with me. Sometimes he has to, in the present, discipline me to get my attention so that when I get to the future, I'll be what? Prepared to do what he wants me to do. And sometimes to get me where he wants me to go in the present, he might have to say, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not going there. That door's not open. Try that one. See what I've got for you beyond that door. Kind of like, let's make a deal. You can have this or you can have door number two. And God said, don't take that. Take door number two. Open it up. There's a goat standing there. Not when God opens it. God's will is always perfect and best, even it might not be the one that I would choose. It's such an important principle to understand as a Christian. Here it is. Let's say you're faced with two choices. And they're both good. For Paul to go back and minister to those people, is that a good thing? Of course. That's a good thing. But God has something else he wants you to do. Also a good thing. So my goal as a Christian is not just to choose a good thing. It's to choose God's good thing for me. Because that's the best thing for me. What does God want for Randy? Not what does Randy want God to bless. Now, until I know this one, then I just do what God has me doing now. And pray, Lord, if you want me to go here, show me. And I'll I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Show me. Move me. He uses circumstances. Sometimes he uses people. You never know. God's in tomorrow today. C.S. Lewis was describing this, trying to make an illustration. He said this. The dog had his leash wrapped around a signpost, and he was pulling and pulling and pulling at his leash, struggling to go forward. His master knew that the only way to go forward was to back up and to get untangled. And then he would be able to go forward. So what did the dog need to do? Instead of pulling and yanking and trying to go forward, he needed to do what? Listen to his master. And back up a little bit. Relax. I've shared this with many of you. have heard this, and I had my open heart surgery 19 years ago now. And 
when I'm laying there in ICU for those five days and just miserable. And one verse kept coming to my mind as I laid there. Be still and know that I, in my office, be still. Still and listen to God. Know I'm God, not you. Trust me. The door, verse 9. They couldn't go where they thought they wanted to go. Verse 9, the vision of the Mahdim saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision immediately, then God shuts the door to Asia because he had another door he wanted to open for Paul. Eventually, that will be Europe. We shall see next week. God is using the Holy Spirit, in this case through a vision, however that works, to lead Paul. Come to Macedonia. And notice verse 10. Paul wakes up, gets up from the vision. What does it say he did? What's the next word? Verse 10. After he had seen the vision... Immediately, immediately, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. I like that. God made it clear. And notice Paul's response. Okay, obey, I'll go. Verse 10, one more time. After he had seen the vision, immediately we, this little side note, I think this is important going forward. Notice the pronoun change. It has been they, they, they. It's now what? We. Who's now part of the group? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. He's now part of the group. So we. Paul wants to continue east into Asia. God has closed that door. And he's going to lead him west into Europe. Again, God opens another door. Would being going to Asia and preaching the gospel be a good thing? Of course What's the best thing to go to Europe? Because that's what God wants you to do. God uses disagreements, we've seen. He uses difficulties. He uses as you disciple, and he uses doors. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians in your Bible, and we're going to finish with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, a church that had... 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to just bringing up all their issues. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, he writes them again to commend them for some things they've done. I want you to notice what he says. 2 Corinthians 2.12. 2.12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas, or Troy, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. He's referring here to that vision we just saw. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but... But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Notice the phrases he's using here. Always leads us in triumph. We may not know where we're going, but we always know if we're going with God, it is triumph or victory. Through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Wherever he leads you, he allows you to spread the good news of him. But we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We present truth. To the, one, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. This is so important as a principle 
that there are a lot of people who preach. There are a lot of people who open the Bibles, and they may have thousands upon thousands of people that follow them. You see what he says here? We're not, even then, false teachers, we're not peddling Christ. We're not doing it for financial gain. We're doing it because God has put a call on our lives to go wherever he has us to go and speak the truth in love. Some people are going to be saved and are going to lead to life. Some people are going to reject and it's going to lead to death. But we are to go where God calls us to go and be that aroma of truth. In the culture we live in today, in 2019, in the United States of America, there are a lot of people opening Bibles and calling themselves preachers and having ministries. Here's the point. Every place God sends you and me, we have an opportunity to speak the truth in love. That last part's really important. In love, not arrogance, not better than you, but I care. Let's talk about it. Let's talk through it. Why do you believe what you believe? Where are you coming from? Let's talk about it. Because there's so much, well, be careful, I don't use the wrong word here. There's so much manure out there. And I'll let you figure out what I wanted to say. There's so much manure out there that calls itself Christianity. It makes me sick. And it should make you sick to realize people you know either believe it or they see it and they don't want anything to do with it. A lot of stuff I see that's in the name of Christ, I wouldn't go to church either if that's what I thought it meant to be a Christian. So those of us, you, who know the truth, doesn't mean you've got to be a, a, a theologian and a Bible scholar. It means you have to be genuine. You have to be a Timothy. I'm willing to do what i got to do to get your ear and respect and let us talk to each other. Why do I follow Jesus and you don't? I've had this conflict with so many people. Why? The old thing with Pascal's wager. Okay, if I'm wrong, what have I lost? But what if you're wrong in rejecting Christ? You've lost eternity. I've just lost some partying time on earth. I'll be all right. What we have sets people free. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. You see what he's saying? And this is what's so beautiful about real ministry. It's not about anything other than, whether it's the Scripture or whatever it might be, that people's lives are changed. All I want to know is when I pass away and the Lord takes me home, that the people that I've had the opportunity to have influence in their lives, I tried. To show them Christ, to just be a real Christian in front of them, not their preacher necessarily, friend, neighbor, just somebody spend time with them. 
knowing that God is always at work in our lives. Always. You never know. I'll tell you a true story and then we're done. I watch, a, as you've heard me say many times, I love World War II and I watch a lot of World War II stuff. And I was reading a story about World War II and, and in the Pacific Theater, that's where my dad fought. So I, I really, I just watch a lot of that stuff. And there was this chaplain that was there and he was, kept witnessing this young man over and over again and this kid didn't want to hear him. He put up with him. He was being respectful, but he just didn't have any interest in things of God at all. And they got in a firefight and, and the chaplain was there and um, it was getting tough and he called the young man over. He said, I don't know why, but I had a dream last night and God told me to give you this Bible. So he hands him, the kid said, I don't want your Bible. He said, no, I want you to take my Bible. God told me to, in that vision, a dream to give you this Bible. And he gave it to the kid, stuck it in the pocket, just to be respectful of the chaplain. And then you know, the firefight continues and the, the chaplain is killed. And the kid is hit. And he, and, he, and he staggered and he thought, well, this is it for me. And he recovers and he reaches into his pocket and the bullet had lodged itself in the Bible. He survived. But God, even in sovereign, and I'm not saying all those mystical things happen all the time. What I'm saying is that the kid took the Bible and started reading it, reading it, reading scripture, reading scripture, and reading scripture. And he gave his life to Christ. Now, if you'd ask that chaplain, do I have to give up my life so that kid can come to Christ? What would he probably have said? I can do that. But he just simply did what, for whatever reason, God had indicated to him to do. And ultimately, God used it in in an incredible way. If you're born again, you've been called to spread the gospel. You don't have to be great at it. You just have to do it. You just have to do it in a loving way compassionate way. Jesus died for everybody you know. Talk to them. Listen to them. Listen to them. That's the key. And then lovingly share the truth in response. God's always at work, working good. Let's pray. Father, again, we we thank you that you're God. That name Jesus we sang about today and the gospel, the truth of how he sets people free and we've been set free. Motivate us, Lord, as we talk about. Use us. Give us opportunities to lovingly tell people about that Jesus. Not who they think Jesus is, but who he is. Lovingly give us chances to do that and and prick our consciences through the Holy Spirit to do that. Pray for opportunities, then take them to lovingly tell people the gospel. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.